returns what guilty stole. And in the shadow of that shame, beat down by all the blame, I hear you call my name, saying it's not over. My heart starts to beat so loud, now I'm drowning out the town. I'm down, but I'm not out. There's a war as we sing our praises to God together. Oh, yeah. 
On the day that death surrendered to the mighty cross of Jesus Christ, the earth would shake beneath the waves of darkened skies. On his brow, a crown of sorrow for a king whose weakness was our strength. No word he spoke, his love was shown for all to see. Oh, the
cross and for all that it means for us and for the world. And we pray that you will help us in worship today to be open to you and to engage in your spirit and your gifts to us. Thank you for being present here. And we give you thanks through Jesus Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. great to see you, uh, whether you are here in the sanctuary or uh, with us in streaming. We are glad to have you uh, here as a part of worship. Happy Mother's Day uh, to those of you to whom that is appropriate. Uh, we hope that you have a, a chance today to spend time with family and a chance to uh, just be together and give thanks to God for his gifts to us. And family is certainly one of those. There are a few things I want to uh, remind you about. Uh, next Sunday is the week, is the, the day when we uh, do our elections next Sunday morning. Also, we'll approve the budget. And uh, there's a copy of the budget on the table in the foyer. Feel free to pick up a copy. Uh, if you know someone who's not here today, grab one for them. Uh, this is uh, it's listed back there for you. Also, next Sunday, we will be uh, collecting the faith promise uh, gifts for the pledges for this coming year. And if you do not have a faith promise uh, form... You can grab one back there as well. It lists the various missionaries that we support through Faith Promise Ministry as well as all the others who support and a place where you can tear that off. And so we'd just be in prayer this week for what God may be prompting you to give uh, in terms of trusting him over the course of the next year. There are a number of other things in the bulletin as well. Please uh, note those. And next Sunday night is our vision gathering and we hope all of you are able to be a part of that and as we uh, come together as the church. We can ask the ushers to come now and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Lost are saved, find their way at the sound of your great condemned feel no shame at the sound of your great name every fear has no place at the sound of your
As we uh, continue in worship uh, by praying together, let me invite those of you who would like, feel free to come to the altar rail to offer your prayers or offer your prayers where you are. But as we join together corporately, we join our hearts in uh, acknowledging the great name of God and his call to us to pray together. Father, we come and give you thanks for your great name. All that you've done for us in Christ Jesus, the blessings you pour out upon us. We come today acknowledging our need for you. We thank you, Father, for the gift of family. We realize that families come in all shapes and sizes. They exist with varying degrees of success and godliness. We want to thank you for the gift of people who have nurtured us and cared for us and loved us. We recognize, Father, that no family is perfect because none of us are perfect. So we pray that you will help us. Help us to be parents who love our children, who lead our children to Christ in all that we do. Help us to be children who love our parents in the spirit of Christ's love in all that we do. Help us in all of our family connections to know your grace and your mercy. To be people who love and forgive. Who show kindness and mercy. Respect one another and honor one another. Who want nothing more than what is best for each other. To know Christ. Father, we we pray for uh, all of the other needs that we come with today. We pray for those who are grieving and ask for your comforting presence on them. We pray for those who are struggling with health concerns. Pray for Brian Masson, Chuck Barrett, for Joe Breton, Cheryl O'Brien, Stora Emmett, Ben King, for Doris Asepian and Isla Shea, for Sheldon Emerson, Laurel Buker, for Bill Getty, for Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muker. For Mike Raybuck and Bev Retz, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth. For Dick Gould and Emily Cricklar and others who are on our minds today, we ask for your healing grace upon each of them. Father, we pray that you will help us as we walk through life and the various struggles and difficulties that come before us. We pray for relationships that are not what we would want them to be and ask for your healing. We pray, Father, that in our moments of disappointment from unfulfilled expectations, that you would give us a vision of you at work. We pray, Father, that you will transform us to live as resurrection people in a world of so much heartache and pain and suffering. We know the pain of this world and We pray not only for ourselves and and even for the ministries of this church, but for those who minister around us. We pray for the Valley Wesleyan Church in Canisarega and Pastor Schombach. We ask for your grace upon this, this body of believers, that they would know your presence and your love with them. 
We pray, Father, that you would continue to help us as a nation to be drawn to you. We pray, Father, for all in our nation and around the world struggling with disasters and and violence. And we pray for refugees around the world and and the the great difficulty of their lives. And we pray that, that you would help them and bring healing to them and safety and security to them. Father, we pray for your church around the world. Thank you for the work of Chris and Corey Thede in Haiti, their family. And we ask that you would continue to bless their ministry and their work in a place of such great need. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Korea who uh, suffer persecution, particularly in the north. There's so so much uncertainty, so much that is unpredictable. We ask, Father, that you would bring your grace to bear on both North Korea and South Korea. And that, Father, this would be a place where we would see you at work in your people. Thank you for hearing our prayers today, Father. We pray that the truth and the reality and the power of the resurrected Christ would be the purpose and the motivation of our lives every day. It's in the name of our risen Savior that we pray with joy and the confidence of resurrection people, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. This morning's scripture reading can be found in John chapter 20. Verses 24 through 29. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Children may now be dismissed for Children's Church and Junior Church.
For he spoke creation, the God in heaven knew Yeah. 
Please be seated. thing I failed to mention earlier is just a reminder to you that uh, our service schedule changes next week, and I apologize that that was in the bulletin last week that we started at 8.30 today, the, but next week we do start at 8.30, and uh, just services 8.30 and 11, and on the back of your bulletin you see a, a list breakdown of when we move to summer Sabbath and, and then back to schedule, so I just want to make note of that. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, a rock and our redeemer. Amen. In one way or another, I, I think most all of us struggle with moments of doubt. Someone has said that if we, if we never doubt about God, then we may need to take a look at ourselves and ask, are we really engaged with God? Because people who who have absolutely no doubts in this world, people who have absolutely no thoughts about why God isn't doing what we want him to do, are typically people who who are not engaged with God at all and are thinking about God. Because the reality is, life throws curves at us. Life brings difficulty for us. And we have questions. And we may not call it doubt. We may call it, we may call it asking questions. We may talk about it as, as I'm trying to wrestle with what's happening in my life and the difficulties and the struggles. But in one way or another, in some form, it is an essence of doubt. And usually that comes to us when when it seems as if God is not doing what we want him to do, either as we want him to do it or when we want him to do it. A lot of our doubts are rooted in God's timing. Why isn't this happening the way I think it should? Why are you waiting so long? Why does it seem like the time just keeps going by? But it's also about what God is doing. Or what God is not doing. How come this is happening? Why isn't this happening? And when we have these questions, they come to our minds, and it's part of being human. We can't help it. And, and, we, and we wrestle with those questions and doubts. It's, it's just part of life. And when we come to this, this part of John's Gospel, chapter 20, as this post-resurrection story we have this, this account of Thomas. And, and we have this account of Thomas doubting. He meets, you know, he's not there when the disciples uh, first see Jesus on the night of the resurrection. And they, I suspect that when they, he, when they do encounter him, they tell him all about it. And, and as the days move along, one day, the next day, the next day, they keep thinking Jesus is going to come back to them again. And he doesn't. And every day that they linger, you can see Thomas saying, so you guys are going to stick with that story? Really? And, you know, because the days go by and Thomas is saying, I'm not sure I buy it. It doesn't seem reasonable to me. And Thomas doubts. And here's the thing about doubts is that I don't think doubts intimidate God. I don't think doubts worry God. 
I think doubts are in many ways a way of connect of, of revealing how connected we are to God. That we have expectations of God. That what God does and, and doesn't do, the timing in which God does and do, does things and doesn't do things, are important to us. And there is, in some ways, our doubts can actually be an indication of our faith. Because we are so inclined to God and we believe God that he will do these things and, and he's at work. And, and when it doesn't happen, we feel disappointed and we question and we wonder because God is so important to us. And I don't think God is concerned with our doubts. I think God can handle it. In fact, I think God would much rather have us, have us with honest doubts than with dishonest faith. To say we believe, to say that everything is fine, when the reality is, deep inside, we know it's not. But something in us says, I can't be honest with God. I can't be honest with other people about my doubts. But the reality of the gospel is, we can be honest. He wants us to be honest. Because I think it moves us into deeper faith. And what Jesus is asking of Thomas, what Jesus is asking of us, is faith. To believe. That's what he's trying to work us toward. The issue that comes to my mind as I think about Jesus and Thomas and faith and belief is I think sometimes we see belief as simply something we do mentally. I believe something is true. I believe something is right. And it's all about how we think. Now, how we think is important. The ideas in our minds are important. Theology is important. But ultimately, do we really believe, do we really believe with our minds if it doesn't do, if it has no bearing on our behavior? If I say to you, I believe the world is, that the world is round, But I'm afraid to get on a ship and sail across the ocean because something in the back of my mind thinks, you know, eventually I'm going to fall off. I can tell you I believe the world is round, but if I won't get on that ship, do I really believe the world is round? There is something about belief that is, it's not enough to say, I believe that's true, or I believe that theology, or I believe that doctrine... It's not really belief if it doesn't get into us. And the resurrection is is where that starts. This is Thomas's, the issue Thomas is wrestling with. Is Jesus really raised from the dead? And he's wrestling with with the idea, is that really true? And you and I at times, we wrestle with that idea. Not so much do we mentally assent to the fact that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. But the fact that if we believe the resurrection is true, it ought to have a bearing on how we live. That we see life differently because Jesus rose from the dead. And sometimes our struggle is truly believing, engaging, living, acting, doing things in such a way that says, yeah, I really do believe that's true. Our clue speaker last fall, A.J. Swoboda, writes in one of his books about how his family home was on was near the Willamette River in Oregon. And he said every year that part of the Willamette River would freeze up. And as a young boy, he loved to play 
by the river and he swam in the river. But in the wintertime, he said it, it always looked to him like the river had stopped. It was just ice and it was dead. But his dad kept telling him, son, you, it may look like the river has stopped. It may look like the river is dead. But underneath that ice, the river is flowing just as fast, just as much as it does when you see it in the summer. And every year when the river thawed, he realized that's true. There it is. And there is something about the resurrection impacting our lives that way because we live between the now and the not yet. And sometimes in the now, it appears as if maybe the resurrection isn't as true as we would like for it to be. Maybe it isn't as true as we think God tells us it is and the implications of it because we live in a world that sometimes it feels as if the resurrection power of Jesus that Paul writes about in Philippians 3 isn't as real as, it, as we want it to be. And that's where faith comes in. That's, our, that's where belief comes in, that we believe it's true. And how do, we, how do people know we believe it's true? By how we live. And if we believe the resurrection is true, then it changes how we see Jesus. It changes how we think about Jesus, how we think about life with Jesus. We just prayed a few minutes ago uh, the Lord's Prayer, and a part of that, that prayer is, Your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. To believe that the resurrection is true and to live in such a way that we believe the resurrection is true means that we are praying and living wanting more than anything else for the kingdom of God to be exactly what it is and to come on earth as it is in heaven. The way Jesus describes the kingdom is exactly what we want the kingdom to be. The way the scriptures describe the kingdom is exactly the way we want the kingdom to be. And we, would, we say to ourselves, well, of course that's what it is. But stop and think for a moment. How often do we really want the kingdom to look like what Jesus describes? Or do we really want the kingdom to be how we want it to be? Do we really want the kingdom to be the Beatitudes? That, that the, the blessing of the kingdom comes... From being poor in spirit and mourning the sins and the grief and the pain of the world and being merciful instead of vindictive and being persecuted for the kingdom and being humble. I mean, is that really what we want? Not just with our minds, but how we live our lives. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount that, that the king that Jesus describes as turning the other cheek and going the extra mile. And be more concerned about the log sticking out of our eye than the speck in someone else's eye. And all of that, all of that is about what the kingdom looks like. And, and when, we, when we are living the kind of, of life that believes the resurrection, that believes that, that Jesus has, has died and resurrected and that changes everything, then we want the kingdom to look like that. And we engage in that. We desire that. I read something this week that a person said that, that when you read the Bible, the honest truth is that everything in the Scripture is always centered in Jesus. And said faith in Jesus 
is accepting that. And I think that's true, though I just don't think it goes far enough. Because I think faith in Jesus is not just accepting that, but it's wanting that. We can accept that that's true, that Jesus is the center of the scripture, which means he's the center of everything. We can accept that with our arm pulled behind our back, sort of being forced to do it. But what Jesus is looking for is the kind of faith, kind of belief that says, I not only accept that, I want that to be true. I want Jesus to be the center of everything, including my existence and the church and everything that we know about this world. And of course, that means, to make that statement means that we want Jesus at the center of our lives instead of us at the center of our lives. We want Jesus at the center of the church instead of us the center of the church. It means that we are always acquiescing to the will of God, always acquiescing to the plan of God that sometimes is a lot more difficult than we are willing to admit. That means that the way of life is the way of the cross. We want that. To really believe in the resurrection is to believe that the way of Jesus is what we want. That is where life and blessing comes from. And when we embrace that, then we take it the next step, which means that we are all in with Jesus. Ultimately, to believe in Jesus is to be all in with Jesus. It, and that means that we are risking for Jesus. We're vulnerable for Jesus. Everything that happens, we want Jesus first. We want the way Jesus describes things to be the way we live our lives. We want the priorities of Jesus to be our priorities. We risk. And anytime you take a risk, you are, you, you are saying, you're saying there's a potential for loss. There's a potential for pain. There's a potential for difficulty and struggle. That's what risk is. And the question before us as individuals and as a church is, are we willing to take that risk? Are we willing to make ourselves vulnerable? Because quite frankly, that doesn't come naturally to us. We spend our lives trying to not be vulnerable. We spend our lives in risk management all the time. But the call of the gospel is to be willing to risk, to be willing to be vulnerable. When you read the scriptures, and particularly the parables of Jesus, over and over again, we see Jesus rewarding people who risk for him. Even when that risk involves being hurt. It's the thing that I see about Thomas here. We talk about, we call Thomas, you know, his nickname is Doubting Thomas. I don't think that's really fair to him. Because the only reason he says, I'm not sure I believe this, is because he didn't see Jesus. All the other disciples don't doubt because they saw Jesus. And I think if you flip-flopped any of the disciples with Thomas, if it were Philip or John or Andrew or Peter, and they're the ones who weren't there, they'd probably be saying the same thing Thomas does. 
Because they didn't see Jesus. But what fascinates me about Thomas is his response. My Lord and my God. I think that says something about his heart. The thought struck me this week. Why isn't Thomas there on the resurrection night? I don't really know. But I, I suspect it's one of two reasons. It might be because he is more fearful than the rest of the disciples. And so even to stay in Jerusalem behind a locked door in secrecy and private is still too fear, too frightening for him. And so he's out somewhere outside of the city hiding in a cave or something. Or the other reason is he's less fearful than the rest of the disciples, more courageous. Maybe he's the one who says, you know what, we got to have some food. I'll go get it. I'll walk into the market. I'll find some stuff for us. Maybe we need a few supplies. I'll go get it. You know what? I've got some connections in the temple and and with the Romans. I'm going to go out and I'm going to see what I can find out about how everybody's feeling and what everybody's saying. Maybe he's more courageous than the rest of the disciples. And I think if it's one of those two choices, it would be the second one. Because the minute he encounters Jesus, he believes. There's faith, there's worship. And I think that reveals his heart. Yes, he's doubting because it's so hard to believe that someone could actually rise from the dead. But the minute he sees Jesus, there's faith. There is worship. It reveals his heart. What's interesting is that how is it that he identifies Jesus? How does Jesus actually identify himself? By his wounds. I would think that it might be more impressive if Jesus identified himself by his miracles. You know? Is that really you? Sure, let me turn this bread into stones. Let me, let me, let me show you a few things, some miracles, so you can see that it's really me. I would have thought that he would have done something powerful, something magnificent, something impressive to say. So they would say, yeah, that is Jesus. I get it now. But he doesn't. The only thing that he does to reveal who he is is to show them his wounds. And ironically, it is the, it's the wounds of Jesus that opens Thomas's eyes. And he cries out in worship, my Lord and my God. And the moment he does that, he sets himself on a path in which he himself is going to be wounded. That declaration of worship leads Thomas to a life of sacrifice and suffering and ultimately, as tradition says, martyrdom. What I find fascinating about that for us is that it's it's the wounds of Jesus that opens Thomas' eyes. And the church is the living, visible presence of Jesus in the world. And it makes me wonder if what will open people's eyes to Jesus might be Our wounds for Jesus. Maybe it's it's our vulnerability. 
Maybe it's the, the risks that we take for Jesus. It's that all-in nature of being a follower of Jesus that opens people's eyes to see who Jesus really is. Because when we live that way, we are living like Jesus. I mean, what could be more all-in than the cross? And maybe that's how people... Maybe that's how people can most readily see Jesus in us as individuals and as the church. It's by our wounds. It's by our vulnerability. Maybe that sets us apart. It's hard for us because I want what sets us apart to be our successes. Right? I mean, the church has actually been been fighting this for centuries to say, I know that that's how Jesus did it, but I think we have a better plan. Let's be successful. That's what will draw people to Jesus. Let's do great miracles. Let's have great power. Let, let's, let's have great uh, authority. That's what will draw people to Jesus. And yet Jesus keeps coming back to, the church keeps coming back to, the reform movements keep coming back to, no, it's about being vulnerable. Being wounded, looking like Jesus. It's hard for us. There is great humility in that. Isn't it fascinating that when, when Thomas is, is, sees Jesus, he isn't afraid to lose face, he just worships. You know, that, that's hard for us. You know, we, we don't want to lose face. We've been, you know, he's been declaring for a week, I don't believe it, I don't believe it, I don't believe it. And as soon as he sees Jesus and he sees the wounds, he says, I believe it. I might fight about it a little bit more. None of us like to be told we're wrong. None of us like to be proved wrong. We all want to be right all the time. And yet here is Thomas saying, who cares about being right or wrong? I'm Jesus, I see Jesus. And maybe that is the witness that we portray in the world that through our vulnerability and our willingness to be all in with Jesus and to, and to be to live like Jesus and to look like Jesus, the people step back and say, wow, that is so different from anybody else. They aren't afraid to admit they're wrong. They aren't afraid to be vulnerable. They don't live their lives trying to protect themselves. They live their lives giving and sacrifice and surrender and love and compassion and mercy and grace Something about that says to people, this is different. But I'm convinced the only way we will will live that way is if we truly believe that the resurrection is what it is. And as the church, do we believe the resurrection is true? True so much so that we are willing to live this way, even if it means loss, And being vulnerable and woundedness. Because we believe there is something bigger. Something greater. God is at work. Even when it looks like the river is frozen over. God is at work. Even when the timing isn't what we want. God is at work. Even when the circumstances aren't what we want. God is at work. Because Jesus has conquered. Jesus wins. And investing ourselves all in with Jesus. Is always always going to lead us to resurrection, to life. I mentioned earlier about the vision meeting 
next Sunday night. And I hope all of you can come. This is not just for members. It's for anybody who says, this is my church. And one of the things we're going to talk about is what does it mean for us as a church to believe? What does it mean for us to believe in Jesus like this? What does that look like? How do we live that way as individuals, but as also as a church? How does that shape who we are and what we do and how we exist and how we bear witness to Jesus? And we're going to talk about that and think about that because I think it's imperative for us with each other and, for, and with others. And I hope you'll make that a part of your, your Sunday next week as we gather together. Do we believe so much in the resurrection that we're willing to risk, to be vulnerable, to be wounded for Jesus? I brought with me a couple of items this morning from my childhood. One of them is an Etch-A-Sketch. Many of you, I'm sure, have seen these, used these, have these. And with an Etch-A-Sketch, you twist these little dials and pictures come up. I got a few things of some pictures for you that, that uh, I've made uh, with, the, with the Etch-A-Sketch. I think we have a couple of pictures there you can look at. I'm really offended by that laughter, by the way. There's a couple more there that I've done. Actually, these are, I got to tell you, these are Google searches that I. This next picture is a little, that's more like what I would do, only that's better than anything I could do. I usually could draw stair steps. That was about the best thing I could do. This was invented in 1960. And, uh, you know, you draw little things. And I'm astounded at people who could do that with an Etch-A-Sketch. But it's, it's a part of the Americana of our lives. But the other, the other thing I brought with me was a Polaroid camera. I was surprised to see this was invented in 1947. I had no idea it had been around that long. I just remember as, as a child, people having these. And what, you know, what this did is you got instant pictures. It's sort of the precursor to digital photography. You got instant pictures. And you take the picture and you, you pull out the, the thing or it comes out depending on the camera. And you peel off the, the stuff and the picture that it, when you peel it out, it's just it's just white, it's blank, and it slowly, gradually, the picture develops. I've thought about these things because of something I was reading from A.J. Swoboda in one of his books, and he says that the thing about these two objects is that they're both to make them work. They both are shaken. If you you know you draw a picture on the etch a sketch, and if you want to start over and get rid of it, you shake it. You can hear the little chemicals in there moving around. And you shake it, and that clears the screen. And if you, when you took a Polaroid picture, even though I'm reading now that they say you weren't, aren't supposed to do this, but we always did, that as the picture was developing, you shook it like this. I can still see hundreds of times people taking a picture and shaking it like this. Over and over again until the picture developed. 60, 90 seconds. And here's the thing. Life is going to shake us. Things are not going to happen the way we want them to. We're going to, be, we're going to question God about his timing and the circumstances of life and the things that come to us or don't come to us. We get shaken. Life shakes us. And the question is, when life shakes us, does it make our faith blur and disappear? Or does it make our faith turn into something beautiful? 
It's going to be one or the other. The question is not, will life shake us? The question is, what's it going to look like when we're shaken? And I'm convinced that the outcome of life shaking us has to do with what we believe. Do we truly believe that Jesus is the resurrected Christ who has won? If we do, something beautiful can happen. Father, I pray that your grace would be upon us to believe. To believe in such a way that it changes how we not only think but live. Trust you. Whatever is shaking us today, trust you. Through Christ Jesus, amen. Please stand and join us as we sing. I don't know why God's wondrous grace to me He has been Sweeter than he is. Here. 
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.